Hey everyone, welcome back to A Thousand Names for God. My name is Rick Alexander. I am the host of this podcast. If you're getting anything from this show, it would mean the world to me if you would head to iTunes and give us a five-star review, or if you would share the show with your social media following, or really anybody that you think the message may resonate with or be helpful for. Because you know, the more people that listen and the more people that download, the easier it is for me to continue to to play this game where I put out free content and explore the world in this way. And so any way that you could share this would be immensely valuable and helpful to me. Additionally, if you want to interact with these ideas, interact with my content more, I have a few different ways that you can do that. The first is a lecture series that I'm putting out this fall on the spiritual and psychological aspects of transformation. And I'm building this lecture series with the healing profession in mind. So if you're a coach or a psychotherapist or somebody that wants to better understand the inner workings of the transformational process, then this will be perfect for you. I would also say that if you're somebody who is interested in their own transformational work and just want some framework and some context as to what's happening internally when we go through these periods of transformation, then this will be really helpful for you. So I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode so that you can sign up and be notified when that lecture series goes on sale. And of course, everybody that signs up early will get a discount on the pricing because it's super helpful for me to have a list to put the put the whole thing on sale to, a list of people that are already interested and et cetera, et cetera. Also, I have a couple of spots open for one-on-one coaching, spiritual guidance and, and direction and that sort of thing. If you are interested in any of these ideas or interested in this work and you want to really do the inner work and try to figure out how they would apply to your life and how they could be helpful for you, then that would be a really good place to do that. So if you want to apply for that, as I said, I'll put that in the show notes of this episode as well. And then finally, Danielle and I have a the third cohort of our book club coming up where we're going to be exploring the work of the Jungian analyst Robert Johnson. He wrote a book called He and another book called She, and they are exploring masculine and feminine psychology, respectively, and they're using myth to do that. And so that book is really right in line with what this show is about, using myth to understand how we make meaning of our experiences and of our life. And so if you want to work through some of these ideas, but in more of a group setting, then you can sign up for that book club. That kicks off in November and you can pay whatever you want to join. We read short sections of the book and then we meet once a month to talk about it. And I think the whole thing lasts like four months, something like that. So lots of options if you're interested in working more closely with me or with this work or with these ideas. And I will put all of those in the show notes of this episode. All right. 
So now today I want to move into part two of the adventure within. So if you listen to the last week's episode, we talked a little bit about this idea of discovering the part of you who that is willing to approach your life as if it were an adventure. And you know, Western medicine, the Western model of health is really good for a lot of things, right? I was a medic in the military and we got really, really good at healing trauma, at healing traumatic episodes, at saving lives essentially. Because what the Western medicine model does is it looks at you through a lens of systems and says, well, if something's going wrong in that system, here's how we can solve it. Here's what's going to happen when that thing goes wrong, right? There's a whole list of things. And psychologically, we do the same thing. We have a whole manual called the DSM, which tells us all of these different psychiatric disorders and problems, quote unquote, that can arise. Actually, really fascinating. When I was becoming a medic, there were ethic committees that were meeting in the military because we were getting so good at saving lives that then we were having to ask the question, like, when shouldn't we save a life? Like when we're saving people with no limbs at all and all of these different things that are happening to people and we're getting so good at the systems approach that we're getting so good at saving lives, the question then becomes, well, do we have a ethical responsibility to not save somebody whose quality of life is going to be so terrible. I don't want to get into that, but it's a very interesting concept that I remember learning about just as I was uh, becoming a medic myself. And so that's a great approach. But when it comes to psychological wellness and hygiene, that approach can well, it can put you into a labyrinth because as you realize that as finite creatures, as the Buddha said, we are all of the nature to suffer, right? We're of the nature to get sick and die. And what that means is that when you solve one problem, the next one just arises, right? The next one arises soon. So sometimes we solve our problems and things are going good for a week or a month or a year or five years, but a new problem will absolutely present itself, and so this idea that we can approach our life as an adventure calls into a, a different way of approaching the so-called problems in our lives so that we can interact with them in a different way. Now, there's a Jungian analyst named Polly Young Eisendroth, and I'm drawing on a lot of her work for some of my current academic work. But she has this idea of human life being a spiritual path to liberation, just approaching human existence itself as a spiritual path. It's a approach that's been really helpful for me, and there's a lot of parallels to the work that we're going to talk about today of this idea of finding this part of yourself that's willing to approach your life as an adventure. But one of the points that she makes is that you know, we have an ideal that we should feel good. Like we have an expectation that our lives should be good. And so our ideal is around perfection. And then when we meet our lives and they're not perfect and they are riddled with problems, we then have anguish, anxiety, depression as a result of meeting our lives with the expectation that things aren't supposed to go wrong. So then when they do go wrong, they throw us into this emotional uh, sort of downfall of trying to cope with the fact that our lives aren't turning out like we, like we want them to. 
And so the idea then is that like, okay, well then why don't we take all of the challenges that we are going to face and change the way we're interacting with them? That way we're dealing with the issue itself rather than the issue plus the emotional fallout of life not conforming to our expectations. Because as I say on here all the time, right, our expectations, whether they are that our life should work out, whether they are that we should not go through pain, whether they are that we should present in some way, that we should be perfect in some way, that we should be whatever it is, like whatever our expectation for our life is, that is the way that we've decided life can unfold to make us happy. And then when life inevitably unfolds in the way that it was going to anyway, we find ourselves unhappy. So if we can change the way we're engaging with the way our life unfolds, then we can take back some of our agency, some of our autonomy in dealing with those issues in the first place. And that's deep, That's kind of what's behind the Stoic philosophy. So we'll get into that a little bit more, but I just wanted to put that as a blanket statement as we get into this work is just recognizing that there are multiple ways to approach our lives, but sometimes we get so caught in our own paradigms, right? The way we're thinking about what we're going through that it doesn't feel like we have other options. Whenever you get into a place in your life where it doesn't feel like you have other options, The first thing to ask yourself is, are there other ways to face this in the first place? Is my lack of options because I'm facing this in a way that's not allowing me to be psychologically open and flexible, that's not allowing me to meet the hardships of my life with a new frame of reference? So I'm going to jump in here on page 141 if you want to follow along or if you hear a quote that might resonate with you that you want to go back for for deeper study or further reading. So let me jump in here. If you've previously taught yourself to deny parts of who you are for the sake of belonging to the world around you, you are limiting your own tool set for interacting with it. The anger you have learned to repress might be useful if you find yourself coming up against injustice and you can learn to use it instead of having it use you. The heartbreak that you feel might open you up so that you can experience the world in new and deeper ways. After all, how can a heart ever expand if it is not broken open? You might be able to follow your own suffering into a place that allows you to transmute the suffering of others. It's also likely that in doing so, your life will become incredibly meaningful to you. If most people do not live a fulfilled life, it is because they are too afraid of the path that will lead them there. So what you heard is a lot of what I just, what I talked about. If you've previously taught yourself to interact with your problems or interact with the world in a certain way, you might be limiting your own tool set for being able to actually work through the challenges that are coming up in your life. And at heart, an adventurer has to be open, has to be psychologically flexible, has to be looking for where guidance and where help might be coming from. If you're closed off to those things because you have an expectation of what should happen, then oftentimes you are going to be in a place where you you're not able to work through what it is that's being presented to you because you feel as we've been saying on here stuck or out of options very few people in this life actually take the time to travel inward due to the pain that growth incurs growth is a buzzword at the moment but it will die off just as quickly as it came as people take stock of the actual work required for true growth The journey into authenticity will kill you a thousand times over as you sift through what you've known and separate that from what you have just learned. 
You will realize that not all of your beliefs are serving you and you will have to dispense with some of them if you want to get to the next level in your understanding of yourself and your life. This is true even if those beliefs make you feel safe. Zen Buddhism is an entire religion founded on the idea that as humans, we can adapt to having the rug pulled out from under our belief system. The idea being that life's ultimate meaning reveals itself to you in the liminal space of not attaching to what you thought you knew. So liminal means threshold. And oftentimes what happens when your belief system starts to fall apart, right? Your previously conceived ideas about what's supposed to happen isn't being met. You're, you find yourself in this kind of threshold space. And the reason it's a threshold is because you could move into a completely new way of being. And maybe when you move through that threshold, what you find, even if it's painful, because it is oftentimes when our when our expectations aren't met by reality, what happens is if you move through that threshold, you might find that reality opens up for you that you can then view reality through a much wider aperture that your previously held beliefs and conditioning, perhaps familial conditioning, whatever it was, wasn't allowing you to see. Because the more the more rigid our belief system is, the more dialed in and closed our aperture is, the more expectations we then put on reality. And so though it's painful to face the fact that what you believed or what you thought might not be ultimately true, it's much better to surrender into what is true than end up in a place where you have to deny what's true so that you can continue to uphold your belief systems. And this is somewhat I see in really rigid belief systems with religion. I see this often, right? So if you have some doctrine, for example, not that it's not really helpful for for taking the chaos of the world and building something you know, manifesting its potential and building something that you have that you can understand. That's what the, that's, I'd say what the good thing about doctrine is. But one of the things that I've noticed that's tough about it or can be unhelpful is that if you start with doctrine or you start with some rigid belief system, you might put yourself in a position where you're having to explain away reality so that you can uphold your agenda. And I've noticed that a lot as I've moved into these different religious circles and had these conversations with people. Because anytime that you're trying to uphold an agenda, you might end up moving away from what's true. Not always. But the possibility then arises, right? The possibility then remains that if you have something that you want to prove and that doesn't turn out to be ultimately true, you might end up denying what's true. And I think it's better to surrender into reality because only what's real can save you, right? Nothing fake can save you. Nothing you tell yourself that's not true to reality can can actually help you, can actually save you in any ultimate way. So that's the interesting thing here. The, the paradox I think that's being presented is you have a belief system that feels as though it might save you, but if you find that it's not true to reality as reality unfolds, I think you're better off realizing that the only thing that can save you is what's true. You can't be saved by a falsity. You can't be saved by anything fake. And so I think a lot of people, especially when we talk about God and things like that, have these images of God that are static because that's what our images are. And then they are end up they end up in a place where they're having to defend this static image of God because it's not dynamic enough to move with culture and to move with reality. And so they're and they're waiting on a savior that doesn't exist. Um, to put it in 
a kind of blunt way. All right, as your consciousness expands, you will also realize that the programming you grew up with might be too narrow to hold your new understanding of the world. It will be emotionally painful as your beliefs clash with your newfound knowledge, and for that reason, many people find it far easier to abandon the pursuit of self and buy a new sports car to help them cope with their painful confusion about their identity. Unfortunately, the pain born of confusion will slowly make itself known as the new car smell fades probably even before that. That's basically what I was just saying there. But one time I heard Danielle say something that was really, uh, really resonant to me is that most people throughout their lives are unconscious replicas of their family system's belief, you know, their family belief system. And so they're just carrying those out in the world. And I can look at like me going into the military and doing the thing that I did. It's not that I regret any of that. It's just that I realized at some point that I was fulfilling the ideals that were given to me, but that weren't exactly my own. That that what I was doing in the world was was not matching up to my own belief system. And so sometimes there's this painful moment in our lives. I think this is often what is to be considered the midlife crisis, where we realize I don't know who I am or what I'm doing. And often it's because we've put our identity in so many things that we don't know who we are. I'll talk about that a little bit further as we get into change management here. But whenever you find yourself in this position, right, it's a moment of reflection. It's a moment of stillness. Now, often we buy things, right? Retail therapy, right? That's why we call it that. We use these things as sort of therapeutic methods for not dealing with what's coming up for us because it's really hard to. It's hard to face the fact that the unconscious belief system that we've been running off isn't exactly true to our own. But it only gets worse the longer you go. And I think when I, if I could tie the idea of the adventurer in here, it's realizing, great, nothing has worked out how you thought it was going to, or these things didn't work out how you thought they were going to. And so now you have a point where you can continue to hope that the world comes together based on your expectations, or you can go meet it in mystery. And if you meet it in mystery, you might find that it has more for you in store than you could have possibly imagined with all of your expectations. Continuing on here, it is through answering our call to adventure that our lives adopt a cycle of death and rebirth as the ego dies over and over in the underworld so that we can create the new within the one life we have. By answering whatever you are called to, you will be subjected to lessons, and those lessons, although painful, will teach you who you need to be to continue. The less ego death that you suffer in this life, the more stagnant you will become. Right in the the Eleusinian mysteries, there was a, a, I guess like a plaque with a phrase written on it. If you die before you die, you won't die when you die. And I would say that that's at the bottom of all of these different religious paths, right? It's a practice of learning to die. By committing to the process of growth through the death of our outermost self, we keep ourselves on top of the turbulent waters that always sit below the surface of our lives. The turbulence is caused by many changes and transitions to which we are always subjected. When we answer our authentic call to adventure, it gives us a forward trajectory that makes it much easier to stay above the whimsical shifting currents below us. 
I'm not going to talk about the call to adventure because I have a bunch of content on that. But if you just go back, episode one, where I talk about Joseph Campbell's bliss, and then also I aired a workshop that I did on learning to identify your call to adventure. And you can find both of those in uh, further back in the podcast. Each time we get to experience something new, we learn more about ourselves and the world around us. Change management always comes down to ego management. The thing that makes you a hero in your own story is facing the inevitable death of your thought processes, ideas, and yourself as you know it, and then choosing to answer the call anyway, ultimately growing into who the call is asking you to be. In this case, we see that to be born again is not the intellectual property of any single doctrine, but rather the birthright of every being who has been thrust into an impermanent existence with the courage to face it. The hero is an adventurer at heart, and the adventurer always chooses the narrow path that winds along steep and unstable cliffs instead of the paved sidewalk because they know that if they do not, their soul will pay the price. The safe route and the route that will yield growth are almost always different. The thing about having two paths to choose from is that one will most likely seem easier than the other, and that one will probably be at odds with the right one. The person who ignores her own call will continue to feel estranged from herself and the world around her. All the while, the answer to her misery lies on the ignored path. It is not until the discontent of not knowing herself outweighs the fear of falling to the jagged rocks below the steep and narrow path of the cliff that she will decide to answer the call. What I'm talking about there is often in our lives, we have, we're making decisions, we're moving, but then we have an unlived life and that unlived life starts to mount, right? The unconscious is what Jung would say, but starts to build. There starts to be a pressure mounting against the conscious experience. And oftentimes what happens is you get to a point in your life, especially if you're still in the point where you're fulfilling all of the unconscious beliefs that you were born with or that you were raised with or conditioned for, you might get to a point where you realize that nothing could be worth continuing on in a false manner. And that's when you'd be willing to actually answer your call to adventure because that's when you're willing to die, right? That's when you're willing to face the death of your old thought processes and your old fears and your old, all of those things that are holding you back and making you feel stuck and making you feel like you don't have a choice in life and making you feel like you have to go in a certain direction. And so unfortunately in our life, because we don't have rights of initiation, we don't have these things to, uh, like a like you would see a vision quest or a spirit quest in Native American uh, antiquity. These ideas that you can go out and be put into the heat of a certain container that will allow you to shed all of the old that's not going to serve you going forward so that you can figure out who you really are and what you're here for. As I've said in the past, in modern culture, what acts as our initiatory rights is often the various difficulties and challenges and rock bottom experiences that we go through. Like I can look at my own life and realize there was a point where I just realized that the the pain of not going down the ignore path and the pain of living on a path that didn't actually resonate with me mounted so much that finally I was willing to let it all go. Finally, I was willing to die to the things that I thought was important so that I didn't have to live another second on a path that wasn't for me. 
And unfortunately, when we talk about the call to adventure, a lot of people aren't ready to experience that yet. They're not ready to say yes to their unlived life because the pain's not great enough. You know, that's that's the problem when you go down the path of the ego and you're making good money and you have the things that you think are important and you can go buy the new sports car and you can do the things that help you forget about the unlived life that is waiting for your presence. And so what happens is we put ourselves in this position where we're getting success, maybe we're getting belonging from the world, we don't want to give all of that up. And so we're willing to let the unlived life sit dormant, sit in the background while we continue to buy new things and buy things, experiences that help us forget, you know, all of the different things that we do so that we don't have to answer our call. So unfortunately, we don't have a rites of passage in this culture. And it's often the adventure doesn't really begin until the pain gets to a point where you just can't stand it for another moment. Ignoring who you really are and what you really want can be comforting for a time as you receive outside validation for your ability to conform, but there will be no meaning found in this life. When you begin diving inward and prioritizing the voice within, instead of the many outside voices that surround you, you proactively build resilience. You create a sound frame that the world cannot penetrate because you're no longer asking it for validation. It is only when we truly don't know ourselves that we are susceptible to losing ourselves in our surroundings. Once we remember who we are, we begin playing a game that is altogether different from the one society is playing. Resilience is not about resisting the constant change in life. It is about flowing with it without losing track of who you are in the process. Often that just doesn't happen until we lose track of who we are enough times that we go inward and that we really find what's true about us. We find what about us the world can't touch. And as I say on here, like that's the value of the spiritual path. You know, that's that's part of why I feel so drawn to this work because I have looked for validation in so many different experiences, whether it's social media or whether it's my job title or whether it's the person that I'm dating or the amount of money that I have. And all of those things always subject to change because if it can be given, it can be taken. And so find the thing within you that the world can't touch. That's the essence of the spiritual path. To avoid the pitfalls of the ego, learn to identify them. There are many roads that will land you with an inauthentic life. And while it is your programming that determines much of your decisions, it is the disposition of your personality that will determine the path you take. There are two main routes that land people with a life that feels light on meaning and connection. The first is well documented. It resides around doing what you're told you should do. It is a safe path that those who have a vested interest in your well-being will encourage you to take. This path is represented by all things you think you should do, but deep down don't actually want to do. In many cases, it is this outside pressure to live by others' desires that compels us to make choices we wouldn't otherwise make. This path almost always ends with us wearing golden handcuffs. We, we become so attached to the luxuries that our current path provides that we feel as though we can't live without them. We've convinced ourselves that because we have the receipt for something, we actually own it. You could triple your lifespan, but even then, you would still only be borrowing your things for less than the blink of an eye relative to the span of time that the earth has been here. Although the pressure to be a certain thing in the eyes of the world does exist, 
we give that pressure far more dominion over us with the internal expectations we place on ourselves. The process of knowing what you really want is a process of taking the weight of the world off your shoulders and coming to grips with the fact that you are only human. You can pressure yourself to carry around the world's expectations, but in the final analysis, you will still be you. What you find as you step back into your natural essence is that no one is ever actually that concerned with what you do or don't do in the first place. Most people are stuck inside their own minds and they are far too deep in their own insecurities to see what anyone else might be up to, let alone actually care beyond a short remark to prop up their own sense of self. Note that this isn't always the case because many times our patterns or superiors do have high expectations for what we should be. Now, if you carry those expectations into adulthood, you really need to rethink how much power you give other people over your life. The job of a parent, for example, is to raise you. But once that's done, we must transition their position in the relationship from one of authority to one of counsel. If we don't, we will be forever trapped in the need for approval. So, I'm kind of outlining the ways we end up not on our unique adventure, right? And the first one as I just said, it's the well-documented one, right? This is the one where you are looking outward, you're trying to see what the world needs and to get belonging, to get validation, to get love. These are things that humans have to have. We think that we have to change who we are to get those things. And the real danger with that is you do get belonging, for example, or acceptance, but you know it's not you. And that is what's really troubling. Like if I look back to the time in the military, Again, I don't, it's not that I regret this thing. I'm just trying to learn from my experience here. I remember being accepted for the position I played in my life, but it wasn't really who I was, right? There was somebody else. There was another adventure that I was born to be on. And I knew that and it kind of ate me alive a little bit. Um, and so when I talk about these different paths, we all, we take them all to certain degrees, right? It's not like I'm only this path. I'm going to move into the next one which I've also taken, which is why I can write about it. But the idea is, ask yourself, is this the adventure? Or is there an unlived me? Is there an unlived life that I need to try to find? The second path to a life you don't recognize as authentic is found in the complete opposite direction. It is the path of the rebel. It is a systemic need to shed other standards for your life, and if left unchecked, it becomes just as dangerous to authenticity as conformity. The rebels' choices arise out of a deep desire to prove their independence to the world. If they aren't aware, the rebel may end up prioritizing being different even when it's not advantageous. The path of living by one's own truth can be intoxicating to the rebel, and this intoxication is even furthered by the admiration of onlookers. We are inherently drawn to people who blaze their own trail, possibly because it comes with a hope for a better tomorrow. If nothing else, they often inspire us to lean into the parts of ourselves that long for a new world. The person with a natural inclination toward conformity may be mystified by the rebel's ability to live with such freedom. It is likely that the conformist will be drawn to the rebel archetype in some way because deep down he harbors a longing for such freedom in his own life. This admiration, in turn, often emboldens the rebel's resolve to stay on his own path, but looks can be deceiving. The rebel could be just as much a slave to his own ideals as the conformist is to the world. It's important to remember that your natural inclinations are just that, 
natural inclinations. They aren't a hint toward a superior mode of being in the world, and the person who believes they are likely lives in delusion. The balanced equation of the universe is set to ensure that we all have our own cross to bear. We all have parts of our own humanity that we must seek to overcome so that we can show up in the world in a way that feels right for us. We are struggling through this human experience in our own way. It's easy to look at the people who are having success in a certain area of life that we aren't and make assumptions about the rest of their lives. Often, the view we get is of the outside and the assumptions we make are about the inside. The truth is that beautiful and successful people, people we admire, take their own lives every day. At the same time, people with very little material wealth find themselves abundantly happy. Outer success and inner peace aren't necessarily correlated. Now, what I'm saying here, what I'm hoping to impart is that we, when we're growing up, we learn how to be in the world both through explicit and implicit ways. And so if you see a lot of people conforming and there's some part of your spirit that's contrarian, you might feel, as I did, like you want to build your own thing, do your own thing, become your own person. And I think as an impulse, that's the impulse to individuate, to become whole unto yourself. But if you end up worshiping that impulse and worshiping that ideal, well, now you're a slave to what you don't want, right? And that can be just as bad as a person who is a slave to what they do want because you don't have the ability to understand nuance and to see, well, some things are bad and some things are good and I have to take some things when they're helpful and leave some things when they're not. And because of that, we have to adopt a disposition in the world that allows us to honor that nuance. Otherwise, we're, we're always unhappy. You know, we're always making a decision that some part of us isn't exactly happy with. Honor the nuance of who you are, and then you can be true to who you are without the expectation of having to be somebody else. All right. Jumping in. If your view is too myopic in your own life, you'll never be able to frame your problems in a way that gives you the space to make a different decision. Fish can't see the water, and we can't see the air. It is entirely possible that you might be a slave to your idea of what constitutes a good life and feel forced into decisions that are in accordance with that life. It's also just as likely that you are driven by a rejection of that life. In either case, you won't see the option to live differently from how you have always existed if you are a slave to your own ideals. People who are rebellious by nature get so caught up in proving that they don't need the status quo that they are unable to see any of the benefits that the status quo might be able to offer. This might also be seen in the life of the person who dedicates his life to an altruistic path. These people get so caught up in their beliefs about what is right that they have trouble seeing things like money as adding value to their lives. As such, they are less effective at carrying out their true desires for good. Many of us end up knowing deep down that we want and need a more authentic life, but we simply can't let go of our ideals long enough to get what we want. It might be that what you can't let go of is your representation of the steep and narrow path. To find our unique path, we must meditate on and ask ourselves who we are beyond who the world expects us to be. Find this answer and the world will have far less success in bending you to its will. We are conditioned to rely on authority, elders, and existing power structures to give us the answers we need. Many of us spend our entire lives looking for solutions out in the world to problems that are happening within us. Unfortunately, what we tend to find in all of our searching is only distraction. 
The world is not short on shiny objects that will keep you distracted while the dreams you have are inviting you to find yourself in their pursuit. Eventually, you will find that there is only one path that has the answers you need. Unfortunately, you are the only one who knows what it is. You look at the world in a way that is uniquely you and as such, your path is based on your subjectivity. There are struggles meant for your solutions, lessons that hold the next steps toward your higher self and potential that can only be unlocked by the key you have. You are the adventurer, so the adventure can only be your own. <laughs>